This is The Athletic Baseball Show on The Athletic Podcast Network. Welcome to the Athletic Baseball Show for Friday, August 18th. Derek Van Riper here with Keith Law. On this episode, we'll discuss a few potential late-season call-ups because we've reached the point in the season now where a player, as of Friday, won't be able to accrue enough service time in the big leagues to lose a year of club control, essentially. So now it's a matter of at-bats and innings pitch. So you can call up a young player and just not use them every single day or max volume play them. And then you'll still have the opportunity for them to win Rookie of the Year in 2024, which leads to compensation and all sorts of other good things for the team. So we'll dig into those players. Uh, I noticed, Keith, the A's lineup looks a lot different (laughs) today than when the season started. So we may actually talk about some of those A's bats that have made their way into the big leagues over the last few weeks. There's another prospect shuffle for the Giants. And I also noticed that the two players, two main players that the Diamondbacks acquired for Paul Goldschmidt mm-hmm. a few years ago were both DFA'd in yes. the same week. And one of them wasn't even DFA'd by the Diamondbacks because <laughs> he was long gone. So we may look back at that trade as well. Uh, but I figured we'd start with the, the prospect question. You know, who else could be on the receiving end of a promotion down the stretch given the criteria, given that we're in that late season window in which we saw both you know, Gunnar Henderson and Corbin Carroll debut a season ago? Yeah, and I, I still don't quite know how much teams value the that clause about rookie status that you were you know, where you know the player wins rookie of the year and gets the whole year of service, right? You get the extra draft pick. I don't know how much that matters. Look, I actually just kind of don't have a great feel for it yet. I think we have one year of data that says some teams really value it. I imagine there are a lot of other teams that are uh, not concerned about it uh, because they think the long-term costs, like actual financial cost, might outweigh the value of a draft pick in the short term. I don't know for sure. I'm just saying like that's I don't think we have enough years to say. And so that leaves me a little skeptical how many teams were really waiting until just now, maybe to call somebody up. But then I also look around the high minors. There aren't that many guys left. <laughs> like a lot of them have, have been called up, have been called up even in the last couple of weeks, right? Curtis Mead ended up coming up. Sal Freelich hasn't been up that long. You know, many of the better prospects who were still in the upper minors, and there weren't that many of them to begin with, were are already in the big leagues at this point. And so, you know, I don't know if someone, if the twins were in a worse situation might they consider calling up brooks lee their first rounder from last year yeah, it's possible they're not in that spot right now they don't really have any place to play him and it would just kind of be a little bit of a waste of of development time if they were to do something like that even as i look i just pulled up my own top 60 update from the middle of the season it's a lot of guys in the low minors lower minors who aren't likely to come up at any point this year it's because and the reason for that's not a bias towards those players but it's that the top tier guys were all already in the big leagues I mean, ronnie mauricio is probably the guy with the most uh, best combination of he's been in triple a all year right so he's really close to the majors with a team that's not making the playoffs or maybe they're more willing to push a player aside or or just create playing time for someone like 
Mauricio. Um, and I, you know, I'd also say he's been in the system a long time too. So they have a pretty good idea of what he is as a player. He's 29th on my list. I'm not sure if anybody above that comes to the majors for the rest of this season. Yeah. And I, I think a lot of the, the higher end players that have just ridiculous ceilings that are sitting at double a, in this case, Jackson holiday, Jackson Churio, the team at the big league level doesn't necessarily have a need right now. Something could change with an injury and, and that could maybe in the case of Churio open the door for him faster than holiday. I think I just can't see the Orioles fitting Jackson holiday into the 2023 roster. I don't think they have a, a reason to the team context is important. Jordan Lawler maybe is one of the more highly regarded prospects that we could see, but the diamondbacks hit this terrible stretch. These last 30 games, they're nine and 21 in their last 30. So the, the dream of a 2023 Diamondbacks postseason run is fading mm-hmm. in a big way. And Lawler's been at AAA for all right. like two games. So if he just tears the cover off the ball for a couple of weeks at Reno, maybe you give him a look. Do you think there's value in giving a player their first exposure to the big leagues for a few weeks at the end of the season? So that way, when opening day 2024 rolls around, they have a better sense of what it's like to be a big leaguer. They've gone through it for a few weeks. It's not the first time that they're in that situation at the beginning of a new season. I think that in general, there is value in calling a player up the September or late August before what you intend for them to be for what you intend to be for them, their actual rookie season, their full or close to full rookie season. Because one, because as I say on the podcast all the time, the gap between the majors and the minors is as big as it's ever been. And so we're seeing a lot of players put up great numbers, even in AAA, and then they get to the big leagues and they are they stumble pretty badly out of the gate. We've seen, a, I won't even list, there have been just this year alone, there have been a ton of examples. I'll just say Colton, Colton Kowser, the latest, but he is far, far from alone. And so having that guy come up and like, let him let him fail a little bit. Let him struggle a little bit first time around. Limited usage, maybe. You're also gaining him familiarity, granting him familiarity with the routines and the places of the big leagues, getting to know the big league clubhouse and staff, coaching staff and other staff, and and just getting the routine down to getting to that ballpark and you know what time the bus leaves. I mean, not that I think they're going to be late, but it is. There's a psychological benefit to familiarity to getting to know that routine a little bit. So. If they, you know, they're going to have some natural anxiety whenever they come back to the big leagues the following year. The first time got a chance to be stronger and maybe then carry over and affect how they perform or even how they're carrying themselves. You just get a lot of that stuff out of the way, even if the player doesn't play a whole lot. When before service time really became a consideration, teams would call up a bunch of the guys on the 40 man. Um, they weren't worried about service time or free agency or arbitration, they would call up guys and then just not play them and just tout the value of having them around the big league club. I'm not saying you need to call up everybody on the 40 man. Lots of teams have guys in low A or complex leagues even on their 40 man. You don't have to call those guys up. That's fine. But a guy you think has got a reasonable chance to contribute for you the following year. Yeah. I think there's a pretty big benefit and it's a benefit of now versus this idea of we're going to get that extra year of club service. You might. That's seven years from now you're probably not going to be the GM anymore. So much changes in seven years. Just look back at leaderboards from seven years ago. You'll see some names on there that you've completely forgotten about because those players either have much smaller roles or they're out of the league completely. What about a case for Cole Keith 
in the Tigers system to get a look. 35 games this year at AAA, started the year at AA, played 59 games there. Like, what's the downside? Like, there seems like there's none at this point. This is a team that we think could be on the rise in 2024. Uh, as far as his approach and what he brings to the table as a hitter, do you think Keith could handle big league pitching or at least start working out the bugs here in the final month and a half of the season? Even more than that, like, I don't care if he comes up and struggles a little bit. I think he's, I mean, obviously, I ranked him my top 60. I think he's a very good prospect. I think he's going to hit in time. He might come up and play three weeks and not hit at all. I'd actually really see value in having him come up work and work with the major league coaching staff on defense, because that's definitely the largest question remaining about what kind of player Colt Keith is going to be. He's mostly played third base. They've tried him at some second base. He needs work. How about wherever he's going to end up? I would say, I think he's going to need work. He's a fringy defender at third. I've actually never seen him and don't have much on him at second base. He might end up a first baseman. So why not call him up now and let the big league coaching staff work with him a little bit? Um, you know, in many, not all, but many organizations, the best defensive coaches are at the big leagues because they help you win. So if that's true for the Tigers, great. Hand them cold Keith and say, all right, here you go. Next couple of weeks, he's all yours. And you can help inform that decision. You help the player, but you also help inform a decision on what to do with him for next year and maybe what to do in terms of filling needs from outside. Yeah, I like that a lot. And the defense, especially, we've seen him play more third than second so far in AA and AAA this year. So it kind of looks like they're going to try and break him in at third before they consider the moves. But why not? Why not put him at the top level and see if he can work on that facet of his game? We talked about Mason Wynn a couple of weeks ago. He makes a lot of sense now. They sort of cleared the deck a little bit with the Paul DeYoung trade at the trade deadline. So we don't need to rehash Wynn being someone that could get a chance here at the end of the season. The Yankees are in a weird situation right now. Talked about it a bit on the Thursday episode. They're down to like a two and a half percent chance of making the playoffs. So it's probably not going to happen. Part of the criticism with the Yankees is that they're becoming old. They've been an older team for a couple of seasons. They have Everson Pereira and Jason Dominguez closing in on the big leagues. It's easier to see the case for Pereira than Dominguez, but I almost wonder if Dominguez is a unique case because of the level of hype around him from the time he was signed, where the pressure would only build up even more after what I think is going to be a, a pretty big offseason in the Bronx. If Dominguez is supposed to crack the opening day roster and he hasn't had that chance to go through some of the things you talked about earlier. But between Pereira and Dominguez, do you think we'll see one or both of those guys debut on this uh, Yankees team and what's turning into a lost 2023? Much more likely to see Pereira because he's already on the 40 man. Um, he has not had a great season. I had him ranked uh, this off season as a top 50 or 60 prospect. Um, and I still like the upside there, but he's punched out quite a bit, actually at double A and triple A well north, north of 25%. And that's where I think as a minor league, just as a, you know, it's a rough, rough indicator. Um, I see rates over 25% in the minors, and I'm concerned. We know guys can do that in the majors and be productive. But if you're already doing that against minor league pitching, it's not a great sign going forward. And yeah, I worry if they bring Pereira up and try to give him a good bit of playing time, that might be a big struggle for him. And that's the same reason I would also use to argue against calling Dominguez up, where 
he has had a, a good season for a 20 year old in double a particularly got 75 walks already that's you know that very few guys in the minors of any age are walking at rates like that so that's already a, a good sign um but it has not been the breakout season right he hasn't blown the doors off he's played better of late um was kind of a slow start and that all makes me think you know what don't call this guy up with all the hype there is around him when he's still only 20 when he's not yet on the 40-man roster when he hasn't played a single day in triple a like just why you gotta rush this right it's just slow to me to slow everything down for this guy so that he's you've improved his chances of succeeding right away you can't make it 100 percent, but improve the chances so that you don't get the inevitable backlash overrated bust it just seems like no matter what they do it's going to be a tough way to break in whenever jason dominguez does get that call how about pete crow armstrong for the cubs as someone that could come up hasn't spent a ton of time at triple a but we know defensively could be a standout in center field from day one that's always been part of the scouting report and it really seems like the bat has taken some big steps forward for crow armstrong what do you think he could bring if they were to add him to the roster? Because you look at this team, they're playing Mike Talkman a lot. There's nothing wrong with Mike Talkman, but you you see Pete Kerr Armstrong as a huge part of the future, and he can probably help you today. That's my argument in favor is yeah, he can he can help you today. Um I don't think he has, I think he might have one more year before he has to go on the 40 man. So there's an actual argument against there. And he's at AAA right now, but he hasn't been there super long and he's younger, right? He's 21. So I don't look at him and say, he's definitely the center fielder for this team next year. He's probably the center fielder by July 1st. So, you know, weigh for yourself what you think the value is of having him make a debut this year, even if the plan might be for him to spend two or three months in AAA to start next year. But the argument in favor that I started to say is, yeah, he can actually help you maybe get to the playoffs. He's a defensive replacement, left-handed bat off the bench, um, got a little sneaky power, also pinch runner. Like There's use for a player like that as the so-called last man on the bench because he's probably not getting many starts, uh, but he's probably going to appear in a lot of games. And yeah, that's also a thing that teams used to do, right? They would call up, they'd have that guy um, in the system and they would you know, he might only see him in September and didn't matter about the service time or the 40 man spot. It was, hey, this, you know, he's a tactical weapon for us in the late season and the playoffs. It is funny that you mentioned earlier in the show, we've seen so many debuts already this year. Are there any pitchers we could see at this point? I don't think so. I think if if you could help your big league team prior to today, they called you up because they needed you badly enough. They weren't worried about the extra year of service time. We've talked about it for years the injury concerns with pitchers anyway. What are you waiting for? If they're ready, give them the opportunity. Let them contribute to your rotation and just let it go from there. When you get injured, you don't want to wait for answers and options. That's why it may be time to explore the Nano Experience, a revolutionary treatment option designed to help active people get back to the lifestyles they love. Nanotechnology allows surgeons to see inside even the smallest joints and treat orthopedic conditions with a tiny camera and other nano instrumentation all through a barely-there poke-hole incision. Wherever you've experienced an injury, whether it be foot and ankle, hand and wrist, shoulder and elbow, knee or hip, nanoarthroscopy can be used to diagnose and treat your condition in an extremely, minimally invasive way. 
don't wait to learn about the revolutionary nano experience and how it could help you or someone you know after an injury. Visit arthrex.info slash the athletic. This is not medical advice and is not meant to be a substitute for advice from your physician. Talk with your physician about your health condition, potential surgical risks, and whether Arthrex products are right for you. Postoperative management is patient-specific and dependent upon your physician's assessment. Individual results will vary. Guys tend to think looking sharp means starchy Oxfords and stiff chinos rather than effortless comfort, but it's possible to have it both ways. I'm all set for summer thanks to Mack Weldon. The Vesper polo shirt is so breathable you can wear it on the golf course, but it looks classy enough to wear to a party. The Maverick Tech Chino short is ultra-flexible, and the Pima Crew Neck T-shirt is perfect for those casual weekends. There's no need to be uncomfortable in your clothing ever again. Some guys just want to look good without calling attention to themselves. Mack Weldon Apparel gives you understated good looks for understated confidence. Mack Weldon clothes are designed to fit your style and the demands of modern life. They look like regular clothes but feel like the latest in modern comfort. They're the go-to choice for guys who want to look great without even trying. Breathable underwear that keeps you cool, dry, and comfy all day. Crazy comfortable but elevated sweatpants. An upgraded classic polo with antimicrobial silver threads. An ultra soft antimicrobial tee for when you need to stay fresh longer. That's the Silver Crew Neck T-shirt. Get timeless looks with modern comfort from Mack Weldon. Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off your first order with promo code MLBSHOW. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com. Promo code MLB show. Let's take a look at the A's for a few minutes. This is a team that has been mostly miserable to watch throughout the season, mm-hmm. but they've changed a lot about this roster. Zach Gallop is up and playing really well right now. They're finally letting Jordan Diaz play a lot. Lawrence Butler was recently promoted. So you're starting to see some of the pieces from the upper levels of this system make their way onto the big league roster. Tyler Soderstrom was promoted recently as well. I think we may have talked about him when he got Mm -hmm. the call. How many pieces do you think are in place in that group of position players right now that will be there on the next quality A's team? Where will they be? (laughs) Right. Yeah. That's that's an A's, not Oakland, right? I don't know if we'll be in Oakland. Oh, I absolutely noticed. Um, I know it's an interesting question. I mean, Geloff, who I like quite a bit, have liked a lot really since they drafted him, because I think he could just really hit. He's not the best young player on the major league team or in the system, but he's one of the few guys where you say you can build around this guy. I really think you can still build around Shea Langoliers. Hasn't taken a step forward yet offensively. Guys like Butler and Soderstrom, I need to see a lot more. Story Ruiz, you got to see more. In that case, you really just need to see more. It should be more, right? It really feels like it should be more um, than just these guys looking at the, I'm looking specifically at the lineup there, but they've had a lot, they've had some trades that haven't worked out particularly well. Um, and they've uh, had some, you know, obviously some draft miscues and a lot of these guys just aren't in the mid. They're not there. They're not in the majors yet. Yeah. I think there's a lot of pressure on mm-hmm. this group to be good because you start to look at what's left in the system and it's underwhelming considering the quality of the players they've traded away in recent years, right? Mm -hmm. This is where the guys you did trade for need to be better than most people thought they were, or at least as good as you thought they were, because you'll have a ton of holes that you'll never be able to fill 
if if you're Oakland in this case. I'm with the on Shea Langoliers. I think the, the jury is really still out on, on what type of player he's going to be at the plate in the long run. I I think there's enough underlying underlying good to remain optimistic. The power looks legit. He runs pretty well for a catcher, too. So mm-hmm. he's just very athletic. Um, I like the idea. We've, we've talked about some of these teams that have two young guys that can actually catch really well, being able to mix and match, not put as much wear and tear on them. I, I kind of like having that flexibility, too. Geloff is surprising me, Keith, because I, I think everything I read, your stuff and, and scouting reports about him, it was very bat heavy. And I don't remember reading a whole lot about him running quite as well as mm-hmm. he's running. He's in the 93rd percentile in sprint speed. So you're seeing the power, eight homers, already seven steals. I mean, this is a level of production. If he's hitting 294, 353, 633 right. over a <laughs> half season. People are going to really start to notice, but this has been a great stretch to begin his big league career. When you look at a more like realistic sort of projection on Galoff, do you see 20 to 25 homers in a typical year with 8 to 10 steals? Or do you think this speed actually holds up to where he, he's this sort of five category player? I don't think he's that kind of runner. Sprint, sprint speed is the fastest one second window, I think. <laughs> he's not running plus plus. He's not a 70 runner base to base underway, certainly not out of the box. Uh, he's a good athlete. Like I think he could, st- and I, he's a pretty instinctive ball player all around. And so I could see some of the steals holding up. Now I don't think he's going to be a 25 steel guy. I just don't think he's that fast, but you know, he's got seven this year. Could he really be a 10 to 15 guy because he picks his spots and eventually people start paying more attention to him. Yeah, I could see that. The one thing I always liked about him as a prospect was he seemed to hit the ball hard pretty consistently, um, which he's definitely continued doing in the big leagues. And I thought once he got into pro ball and out of Virginia, he would loosen up a little bit and start to drive the ball more and hit for some more over the fence type of power. And I think we've really seen that just when he's been healthy, he's missed half of last season. Um, And so I think by the time he came to the big leagues, he might've had about a year and a third of professional time total. So when he's been healthy and playing though, he's been doing just that. And I think he's a 20, 20 to five, 20 to 25 Homer guy. So I guess up on the power and down on the speed. Where do you fall on the hit tool? I mean, it was a 304, 401, 529 line for him at AAA, 69 games, PCL. So you had mm-hmm. to account for the environments boosting the offensive numbers a bit, but do you see a good enough hit tool where the swing and miss that Galoff has shown above double A will eventually fade? Or do you think punch outs are part of what you get to, to get the good stuff from Galoff? You have to deal with the strikeouts. Uh, he's striking out more than I anticipated um, in a small sample. It's a hundred PA or something. It's too much for the long term. Very inclined to uh, give him some more slack given age and performance in the minors. Um, Again, around an injury too, where I don't think he is a huge swing and miss guy. I don't think he's a 30% guy in the big leagues um, over the long term. I could see him being, you know, 23, 24, 25% with some power because that's the change is that he's gotten out of this college mode of just avoid the strikeout and more into driving the ball, which means some more swing and miss. Um, even with two strikes, he's like, he used to, I joked when he was in college, he looked like he hit two strikes, hit, was hitting with two strikes all the time. Now he's gone almost completely the other direction. I like this version better. Put some balls in the seats. 
yeah, it's an exciting start to the career of Zach Galoff. Uh, Lawrence Butler is pretty interesting. This is a guy that was a sixth-round pick for the A's back in 2018. First couple of years in the organization looked overmatched, right? Was striking out a ton, wasn't doing much in the lower levels. Coming out of the lost pandemic season, actually started to pick up some momentum with his first full season assignment. Showed power, showed speed, was still striking out a lot, but he's been able to, to trim that strikeout rate down against upper level competition. Pretty big improvement for Butler just from high A to double A and triple A mm-hmm. this year. Are you buying that as legitimate improvement that he can sustain? I mean, you would expect any player who's 23 getting into the big leagues for the first time is going to strike out more than they did in the upper levels of the minor leagues. But where do you think Butler kind of falls in terms of his long-term ceiling? Um, There's ceiling there. I am definitely a skeptic on the hit tool. And that comes from also a lot of scouts I know who've spent time watching the organization who I would think would be fans given his size, the power, the speed. Um, Actually, I've seen him make some pretty good plays in the outfield. I don't think that translates into good overall defense, but he's a good athlete. Um, again, type of player you think scouts would like. And uh, I get a lot of big skepticism, even this year with his massive improvement, right? That is a huge cut to the strikeout rate um, everywhere he's played. And that would generally make me, you know, I was, I think I was kind of bearish on Butler because of the swing and miss. Well, he stopped doing it and he stopped doing it for 89 games over 400 PA. That's a decent sample at least enough to say, maybe this is a new skill for him should make him a much more interesting player. So I still think you could see a 25, 25 guy, but I am also deferring to the scouts. I trust who are very skeptical that he's going to hit enough to get to that. Where do you think he fits defensively as the pieces come together right now? They can afford to stretch him a little bit and and push the envelope in terms of where they actually use him. But most likely where does Lawrence Butler play the bulk of his games in the big leagues as time goes on? First base. I just, he, he looks like a first baseman. He moves better than that. He moves better than you'd think just by looking at him. But I think he probably ends up at first base. And then look, if he hits enough, you're going to be thrilled. It's, it's going to come like so, so many players, right? This is just going to be about the hit tool. The other stuff is in place. He's got power, speed, seems to have a good eye. So, keeps hitting, keeps making contact, then it's, you know, it's sort of extra player or star. For now, giving him time in the outfield, including center field. He's played a lot of center field this year between double A and triple A. And that's where uh, the bulk of his playing time early in his big league career has been. Now that we've seen Asturi Ruiz in the big leagues for most of a season, had an injury that cost him some time, but we're over 400 plate appearances now. Is it okay to look at him and say, this is just what you get? Is there any reason to believe that there's more power in there, right? It's an underwhelming barrel rate. It's a very, very low hard hit rate, under 20% for hard hit rate. It's hard to find players that stay in the big leagues that make as little hard contact as Ruiz has so far. He's young, so there's always a possibility of getting a little stronger, but he's not 21. He's 24. I'm... I'm a skeptic, even though it sort of works as a role player. Um, I, I'm with you. Uh, and I used to like Ruiz quite a bit. It's funny because when he was really young, when he was first traded from the Royals to the Padres in the Matt Strom and others deal, the word on Astori Ruiz was that he could hit. 
and you know he had looked like he had hard you know some chance for some power and certainly extra base power at the age hitting hard hit line drives to the gaps and then it's like he i don't know if it was the pandemic or what but he came back a completely different player it's like he just never got any stronger which you can understand when it's a smaller player a nick madrigal type or a more slender player like xavier edwards but Ruiz kind of didn't look like that at least didn't seem like he'd be, be that kind of player and then got moved off the infield and turned out to be an elite runner and base dealer with elite level defense that's that gets you to the big leagues but i don't know that he gets above that bar to be more than an extra player because i just don't think there's enough not even thump just a little oomph in the bat it just looks like the profile of a a speedy bench outfielder you know someone that you bring in to run someone that plays a couple times a week maybe you play him mostly Mm -hmm. against lefties bring him off the bench against righties i know that the the baseball savant pages, you know, with the red and blue lollipops, you could be misled sometimes by mm-hmm. players looking really good with lots of the red lollipops, looking really bad with the blue ones. Ruiz has tons of blue. It's not just yeah. the contact quality. It's ice the swing cold. decisions. Yep. Ice cold. The uh, outfielder jump, you'd think even that would be like, hey, this guy's fast. He should be able to get good reads on balls. He's below average in that regard, too. Arm strength mm-hmm. isn't that good, so it's more corner than center. It just, it's unfortunate because... Players like this from an offensive profile, if they can do enough to get on base, they're really fun. I'm just worried that this is sort of what you've got with Esturi Reese. He's probably, for me, of the, the young guys in the lineup right now, the least likely to be on the next good A's oh, team. Yeah. I saw a little shuffle uh, with the Giants that I wanted to ask you about. Luis Matos had a pretty rough stretch at the plate, got sent back down to AAA. It certainly doesn't mean that the long-term outlook has changed all that much. 50 games in the big leagues, hit 241, 306, 316. Maybe he gets called back up to be a bench outfielder before the end of the season. The hard hit rate compared to what he was doing at AAA fell a little bit. He was at 40% at AAA in the 25 games he spent there. That dropped to 32.4%. Hit a ton of balls on the ground against big league pitching for the first time. Not surprising, given his age. Matos won't turn 22 until late January. But they made a switch to Wade Meckler, which, you know, Meckler's results in the in the minors are certainly interesting. Great average OBP, but doesn't... To me, I, I don't know if there's actually like real power with Wade Meckler. This just might be a guy that's a table setter and not much else. But what do you think about this adjustment and how surprised you to see Meckler in the big leagues already just a year after he was drafted in the eighth round by the Giants. Yeah, a little surprised and definitely had to do a quick check. Is that the player I'm thinking of? I don't generally remember eighth round picks, certainly. And somebody I didn't, you know, he had a really nice pro debut, but I rank him particularly highly. Um, if I rank them at all, I don't think that I did coming into this season. Um, you know, because he was an older guy, he was 22 year old, college product, uh, college senior, um, or whatever they called them, a COVID junior, basically a fourth-year player, uh, who was taken in the eighth round. They're, they can be good players. They can, they can certainly get to the big leagues. They're generally not big prospects. And I think that's what you said with Meckler is spot on. It's high contact um, with it. You know, what might be a decent eye, we'll see. Obviously, he's facing more big league pitching. But everywhere he's played, um, going back to college, it's been – Pretty high contact, not top level, not here, not Madrigal level, Tony Gwynn level contact, but good contact rates and a little bit of speed, not a ton, and maybe some doubles. 
that's a tough profile. Like those guys were big leaguers for sure in the eighties. And I don't know when, you know, did we just go off the cliff in the mid to late nineties? That's just a, not a good profile anymore. Most teams can do better, want to do better, want somebody who's got a little more sock. Also, we'll see, right? He comes up. I, I talk about his high contact rate and he comes up and punches out six times in 11 play appearances. So big leagues are hard, man. It's, a, it's really hard. Big, big gap, of course, between yep. uh, AAA and the big leagues, as he said a bit earlier. Looking at the leaderboard for rookie hitters, Galoff right now, again, smaller sample than a lot of the rookies, leads all rookies in WRC plus by a healthy margin. That was once upon a time, that was James Altman's spot back in April. So just yeah. a reminder, things can change. The league figures you out and you have to adjust back. You mentioned the number of rookies that have come up and, and struggled this year, and there's a healthy number of them on the position player side. You know, Andy Rodriguez has been below average so far. Anthony Volpe in a long window of playing time. I don't think he's been bad necessarily, but it's not what people were expecting based on what he was doing in the upper levels of the minor leagues. You look at Ruiz, we talked about earlier. Joey Weimer, fantastic defender, but still kind of finding his way at the plate. Gabriel Moreno, who I think by most accounts was going to come up and at least hold his own as a bat right away. He's been about 20% worse than league average. Uh, Ezekiel Tovar. I mean, these are these are guys that have bright futures. Brett Beatty. If, mm-hmm. if Brett Beatty was going to do anything as a rookie, Keith, he was. I thought he was going to hit. Like, sure, the yeah, defensive questions were, were real, but I'm stunned that Brett Beatty posted a 216, 289, 331 over 300 plate appearances so far this year. So I think this does speak to the difficulty of making the leap from the minors to the majors, but of some of those names that I mentioned, is there anybody that you hear on that list and you're like, that guy's going to be fine? Like, yeah, the, the first chapter of his big league career hasn't gone well, but there's a ton to still like about that player. Moreno, I mean, God, almost all the players. I, I just, I mean, big leagues are hard, right? That first jump, we point back to Mike Trout's first 110 or so play appearances ish. Um, did not go well. And the next year he was even with a late call up the most valuable player in the American league. So anybody can flop in a hundred or so PA. If one of the greatest players of all time can do that. I just like to see more. Um, I'm trying to think if you said anybody where I didn't think very highly of them, Gabriel Moreno, Brett Beatty, the pile, all those pirates guys. I think they're all going to hit. Yeah. They won't all work out because that's just the nature of things. But, I don't think you said anybody where I'm like, yeah, this guy's Brett Beatty had. He's got like two thirds of a season, like you said, something like that. I still think he's going to hit. Yeah, I'm pretty optimistic about Beatty for 2024 and beyond. There's a few guys on that list. Oscar Colas, maybe because of the swing and miss and and the the degree to which he has struggled is worse than the other guys I mentioned. Like if you're in that that lower part of the board where it's like a 50 or 60 WRC plus out of the shoot. I've looked back at that group historically and it doesn't generally turn out well. That's a, that's a, like a low threshold. That's just really hard to recover from, mm-hmm. but you still, you're still talking about partial seasons and fractions of a season for many of these players on this list. I mentioned this up top, two players from that Paul Goldschmidt deal a few years ago between the Cardinals and Diamondbacks, both DFA'd in the same week. I I think Luke Weaver is kind of interesting because for a moment after that trade, 
Carson Kelly and Luke Weaver looked like pretty good players. And because Paul Goldschmidt was entering his walk year and needed to be extended to be kept, it looked for a second like they got enough value back in return. And the year since then have revealed that, no, they didn't actually do that well. And I'm sure there were plenty of people at the time. I forget what your take was at the time. I know there are other other people out there that didn't like this trade at all when the Diamondbacks made it. I thought Weaver would have worked out as at least a back-end starter. Injuries are a big part of the story, but is that a complete story for Luke Weaver? Does that fully explain why he just hasn't had a prolonged run of success in the big leagues? Yeah, I said I'm looking back at this. Um, what I said, I liked. I remember I liked Carson Kelly a ton. Great athlete, great kid, hard worker, you know, third baseman pitcher in high school and just was one of those kids who could kind of do whatever you asked. And so converting him behind the plate seemed to make a ton of sense. It also raised the floor, I guess you could say lowered the threshold bar he had to clear with his back because he was probably never going to be a big, um, never going to be a big power guy. Um, he had some power, raw power, but his swing has just never kind of been conducive to that. And he's another guy who I just think never really got stronger after about age 20 or so, or in at least not any baseball sense. Um, you know, and I thought there was, you know, he alone had a chance to justify the deal. Cause I thought if he hits enough, right, you've got a really good defensive catcher. You could really throw and could call a game. That's a hell of a return. And then, you know, I was never a big, Luke Weaver fan. He's just never been able to really spin the ball. And so, you know, he's back end starter who I even said at the time might be better used as a multi-inning reliever. I think that's probably worked out about right. Um, and they got another draft pick out of that deal, which may actually, you know, turned out to be the best idea they had. Um, oh, Andy Young was also in that trade, but he was always a utility guy. I don't think anybody particularly argued um, about that about what his what percentage of the trade's value was actually about him. Um, yeah, so I don't know um, how, I don't know what other people thought at the time. Um, it felt pretty light to me and turned out to be lighter than I thought it was. Yeah, that draft pick, it was a, a comp B pick. And it was yeah. either, was it Tommy Henry or Dominic Fletcher? Because they had two of them. I don't know which yeah. one came from the trade. One of those guys came from that. I was trying to trace that back before we started recording. And those were well-used draft picks, I guess I would say. I mean, two guys that at least have reached the big leagues. So have reached the big leagues. Yep. Absolutely. I wonder if there's another team that takes a chance on Weaver. It has been long enough now. It's been parts of eight different seasons now in the big leagues working almost entirely as a starter 2022 we made 25 relief appearances that's the bulk of the, mm-hmm. the bullpen work he's done the next stop for him might be a team that has more depth in the rotation that wants him to go two innings at a time and i wonder right. we've seen him tinker with his pitch mix enough times it, it's not it's not like he's done that thing where he's just throwing the same arsenal over and over and over again hoping that it's gonna all click so who knows if it's the Dodgers or the Rays or the Brewers or some of the teams that are the Guardians, teams that have had more success developing pitching. I'd be curious to see if if they scrap a pitch or two, completely revamp them again. And the velo is not bad. The command was always supposed to be pretty good. There's at least a starter kit of a useful pitcher still there, even as he 
you know, approaches 30 years old. So I'm guessing we haven't seen the last of Luke Weaver, oh, but maybe yeah. we've seen the last of him as a, a regular big league starter now. Yeah. All right. I would agree. He should be somebody's long man, bulk guy, whatever you want to call him. There's value there. And maybe he gets a little more effective. The Carson Kelly development is, is surprising. Like I, I'm, I'm wondering if he's been hurt. If it's injuries that have caused him to lose this much in terms of contact quality, I mean, he was showing oh, yeah. decent barrel rates a couple of years ago, getting to that power. It maybe was more of a play him against lefties and some righties because defensively he was good enough breaking in to be, you know, a, a semi regular, right. at least right. a halftime catcher. So I think there's going to be an organization that maybe doesn't have its long-term catching solution already on the roster that might be interested in him too. So a uh, strange week with both of those guys getting DFA'd at the same time, though. Just a trip back to the Paul Goldschmidt trade and Goldie now entering the last year of that extension in 2024 with the Cardinals yeah. too. So we'll see if he's even there come opening day 2024. Big shakeup coming in St. Louis perhaps this winter. Uh, we are going to go on our way out the door. A reminder, you can get a subscription to The Athletic for just $2 a month for the first year at theathletic.com slash baseball show. You can find Keith on Twitter at Keith Law. You can find me at Derek Van Riper. That's going to do it for this episode of The Athletic Baseball Show. We're back with you on Monday.